0: We're going to go ahead and get started here this morning because we have a lot to, to get through. And uh I'll introduce I, I put these up here this time so that you could see everybody. Caitlin quit sagging there. So uh but these are these are good peoples right here, and I'm just gonna go ahead and get started with this. I asked them to as we finish chapter five, if they had any questions and as I talk to them, I'm going to present their questions that they asked and try to help them with answers. But Ben, I want to start with you. This is Ben Dio down here. Uh, Ben, where do you go? You got to take that microphone right in front of you and hit the button at the top. It's on. I don't see red. Touch the top. Here I get it. Now it's on. Now it's on. Ben, tell them uh, if you're in school, where, where are you going to school and all that stuff. Um, I'm a sophomore at IU uh, in Bloomington. So, Ben, you grew up in a faith-based home with your dad, Andy Dio, uh, who's been a good friend of mine for many, many years. And at some point, you weren't buying any of this. Almost to the point where you declared yourself an atheist. Is that correct? Yeah. Is I Am I close? I don't want to put words in your mouth. But how did you get to that point where you didn't believe any of what you had been hearing?
1: When you generalize a group, you tend to pick out the worst that a group is capable of, right? So the kind of actions that you hear about uh, from a lot of people in the persecution standpoint, um, it always seemed to me when I would read about it in the news or find about it online that Christians out there wanted to be the victim, even though they were not necessarily that way you know what I mean
0: yeah that's the generalization that's out there right now yeah but
1: after after a while even though I was surrounded by all these wonderful people that was that was the part that stuck and I just didn't really want to be a part of it there were a lot of rules that you had to follow and then it always felt like there were other people that were trying to push their rules onto you,
0: and um, but you wouldn't come to any of our student activities you wouldn't have anything to do with us. You just kind of like pushed it all aside, right yeah, that was also a
1: kind of a time of discovery for me because at that point i didn't really know who I was i didn't have a lot of friends i didn't talk to a lot of people i Focused a lot on sports and academics, but, you know, it was really lonely. And but I didn't I knew that at that point my journey did not involve other people.
2: Right.
0: So now today, today you're actively pursuing your faith. You're hanging out with uh, Luke and those guys on Friday mornings and things like that. What was the significant transformation for you?
1: Um, so the most significant trans- part of the transformation for me was, um, a uh, man named James Conaway. I, um, I was at the IMU during welcome week. So you've got thousands of people in that room.
0: Pick that mic up off the table. There you so, go. Um, I was at the
1: IMU and they're during welcome week. So there are thousands of people in that building. And, um, in about two minutes, I lose track of the, uh, people I was with and i ran into james conway and we were talking for a while and uh i guess i was just really lonely at that point i didn't really feel like my friends were my friends and so he invited me to come hang out with him and i did and he just kind of he just kind of had a way of getting under my skin that made me feel like what a wonderful person i kind of want to be more like him
0: but okay so now he was obviously the jumping-off point for you. Yeah. But you've connected with your dad on this, and you're hearing a, a message very directly from these men in this room and stuff like that. How has that impacted what you know? Well,
1: new Christians always have to. They always worry about the uh, you know works versus faith. That's that's that comes up all the time, but being here is really refreshing because it's away from all the the work stuff you just have to worry about being a good person it's the it's the science of being a good person and that's a lot that's a lot more refreshing because I deal with a lot of perfectionist tendencies and so knowing that I am fine who I am uh that just that just helps a lot and
0: that's only been reaffirmed here. That's good stuff. I appreciate that. Uh, Seth, I'm going to move on to you. Grab that microphone right there. Um, Seth is my nephew, if you didn't know that. Uh, His dad is David, who usually runs the camera, and Sherry, his mom, is over there, and David and Michelle are brother and sister. So if you never put that together, this is my nephew, who is a senior at Noblesville High School. And we previously... Talk Seth and I did about his sophomore year and the opportunity to, to discuss it here this morning. Um, you didn't want to talk about it because it would come across as bragging, but you're willing to talk about it as a learning process. So that's where we're approaching it this morning. Um, you made an empty threat. At the high school, which puts you in the juvenile detention center for 32 days. Yep. And at that point, I would say that you knew the truths that we were teaching on Sunday mornings. Correct. Your identity in Christ and grace. I want to know, did you question what you knew because of the situation that you found yourself in?
2: Um. When I was sitting in the juvenile detention center, I knew that I made a fleshly decision, and that wasn't who I am spiritually. I chose to walk by the flesh instead of by the spirit. So the choice that I made didn't define who I was. It was just like a mistake.
0: So uh, not to like relive that or anything, but uh, just the first 48, 72 hours in there, What was going through your head?
2: Uh, When you first get in there, they put you in the, just like that first room there. It's an isolation room, gets you used to being in the juvenile detention center. Uh, And it's tough being alone. That's what the evil one wants to do. He wants to separate you from everybody in your community. And uh, so you're just alone with all your thoughts. And they give you a phone call when you first get there. And I... uh, didn't use like all the like first 10 minutes, so the second day, I was really missing my mom. So I uh, made a deal with the guard. I was like, hey, I didn't use all my 10 minutes yesterday. Is it okay if I give my mom a phone call? And they agreed, so I'm calling my mom, and I broke down. I was like, I don't belong here. This isn't me. I don't belong in a juvenile detention center. This isn't where I'm supposed to go. This isn't what I want to do with my life.
0: And... You obviously got out mm-hmm. and you had a counselor, went through different things. You're back in school now. Everything's back on mm-hmm. track, which is good. How did knowing what your, identi- what your identity was help you through that whole process of coming back into your social world?
2: Uh. When I got out of the detention center, I did not want to go out in public. I was afraid of people seeing me and pointing out, hey, that's the kid who made the threat at the high school. And I didn't want people to think that that's who I was. So uh, there was actually one time we went to Noble Rogan's Pizza with my dad, and I had a breakdown in the car. I did not want to go in to the restaurant in fear that there was going to be somebody who knew me. Uh, So he drove all the way out to where was it Dad? We went all the way to Tim- Tipton to go out and eat because there I was like, Oh, that's far enough. Nobody's, I know is going to be here. <laughs> so, uh, just having to deal with the fear of what people are going to think of me. And then with the help of my counselor and then everybody in this community, I learned that, uh, that mistake, that one little behaviorism doesn't define who I am. Right on. And, uh, I was able to just live with that, and if people want to believe that's who I am, I feel sorry for them. I wish they would get to know me better. Yep, that's a good word right there, buddy, Uh, because you do know this stuff, and
0: um, it's just pretty cool to watch you even talk about it on Wednesday nights with our high school students. Hey, uh, I know I got a lot of people back there in the back, but there's plenty of seats up here in front if you don't mind traipsing your way up here, but there's One, two, three, four, five, six. and about ten chairs up here up front if you guys want to make your way up here because it's uh, crowded in the back. All right, Mike, you ready? I'm ready, man. Uh, I want to answer your questions first, all right? Okay. Uh, You said, I see the law as a guide to Jesus, which is basically Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, when he says, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. You said uh, the continued failure and failing uh, short se- falling short seems to lead people to Jesus, in my opinion. That is your opinion based upon Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is exactly
3: where I got it from.
0: Yeah, and they are justified freely by his grace through the re- redemption that is in Christ Jesus. With that said, this is your question. Uh, do you think Jesus enjoys us falling, failing, because in a way it brings those who don't know Him yet to Him? Is that your question? That is my question. I don't think He. I don't think the word is enjoy.
3: That's why I put that in quotations. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I don't think the the word is enjoy um, there. I, he, he definitely uses the law, and He definitely uses a fallen world. But I, the way I see it is this. is How many times did He die on the cross? Once. One time on the cross. And so when He died on the cross, how many sins did He take care of? All of them. All of them. Past, so he, present, future. Past, present, and future. So when He literally sees people failing, falling, He doesn't really see that because He's already... You hear what I'm saying? If Mm -hmm. they come to the realization based upon their failure that they failed whatever the law was or failed and they needed salvation, then they become a child of God. And honestly, I believe that's all that the Lord sees. So I don't know if uh, the process of them sinning is that important to him. Does that make sense? It's Mm -hmm. not that he's going to enjoy it for sure but uh, the, the joy that they chose Him. That's, that's the thing that you have to understand here is that God gave us a free will to love us, to love Him, or to not love Him. Like He loves everybody in the world for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loves the world so much that He gives them the choice not to love Him. He gives them the choice to walk away from Him. And to me, that that's the bigger, better deal of the whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, Mike, I, I know you come in here every Sunday and you just do your thing and then leave, and a lot of people don't know you. Uh, tell them who you're related to in here, first of all. I know that that's not the best thing to do, but
3: yeah, let's see. some people are just going to get up and walk out after that. <laughs> I'm actually Luke Dunnock's nephew, Um, but as he would say, I don't even look at him as an uncle anymore. I look at him as a brother. Um, We are brothers in Christ, but uh, I am related to him, so I apologize for that.
0: (laughs) We get it. (laughs) Uh, Mike, how did you come to your faith, the point in your faith where, not necessarily where you are right now, but just... What you were talking about here is coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well,
3: growing up, you know, and I've heard this story a lot in here with a lot of people who have gotten up here. But growing up, I was raised around, you know, a lot of different churches. Um, but the, really the only one I can remember, uh, you know, I have flashes of some. But really the only one I remember is a, was a Catholic church. And, um, you know, there were were some good things about it. You know, we met some great people uh, who are still really close family friends. Um, But really, I just thought of it as a chance to screw around with some of my friends and make the Sunday school teachers mad at us. And, you know, I was never really listening to their messages that they were trying to teach. And I never felt like I identified with any of that. Um, You know, I was living a life feeling guilty about everything I did and so worried about what others thought of me and, you know, worried about, uh, am I actually forgiven? Um, and that really ate away at me and it was really intimidating as well. Cause I know when I went to do my first confession uh, and I told you this Thursday night, I didn't tell the priest anything. I mean, I, I was so scared. Um, but something that all the, being around all those churches when I was younger did do it instilled this desire in me to get to know jesus, and although I was struggling with my identity in christ um, that that desire was there and i w- I want to thank my parents for that because they they raised me around that, and that that really
0: instilled that desire to get to know jesus that's that That's a great affirmation right there for you parents that he, he realized it didn't do much for him, but just the fact that they were brought up—you were brought up in that environment—gave you that inkling to pursue Jesus, and, and that's huge. Yeah, it's yeah.
3: huge. And then, uh, so I went away from you know the Catholic deal, um, and really away from all religion for a few years, and then college hit, and I was so you know into that. Um, but then two years ago. Um, a little over two years ago now, and you know this story, and some of you in this room probably know it, but my younger brother had a uh, an AVM. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's very similar to a stroke, um, and it was pretty severe. He had to get airlifted from Bloomington to um, Methodist downtown, and it was real touch and go. Uh, we didn't know if he was going to make it or not, and uh, it was a really tough time for the family going through a lot. Just um, so
0: you know, we were praying every week here.
3: Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, but there was one night um, my parents had been staying with them, taking shifts, but they were both exhausted. So I told him, I was like, you guys go home, get some rest. I'll stay with Max for a little bit. And um, my Uncle Luke, brother, um, he was still at the hospital. And he came. It was just he and I, Max, was passed out. And um, there was this calmness about him. And I, I didn't get it. I was like, he's touch and go right now. We don't know if he's going to make it. How are you so calm? Like I asked him, This just the two of us and then Max. Um, but he said, cause we're not in control, man. Jesus is and he's got him. He's got Max and that, that just led into deeper talks, um, about the gospel that night. And he shared with me his story of how he came to Christ and Um, So I think it was a combination of that and and wanting that calmness and being able to live that lifestyle and then that desire to know Jesus that I got from all those churches when I was younger uh, because my parents raised me in that. Um, And that was a combination. And then, you know, one day, Brother Luke over there takes me to – he he texts me and he's like, hey, I got a surprise for you, but we got to go somewhere to pick it up. I'm like, okay. So I drive over there and he takes me to, uh, what was the name of the store?
0: Lifeway. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So go there. He's like, we got to get you a sword. We don't call it a Bible. We call it a sword. So he buys me the Bible, buys me the Bible case. And I just dove into it. I, I dove into it. And then, you know, months go by and, um, I, uh, I text him. I'm like, Hey, I, I want to get to know more guys who are about this life. Um, and so then I joined the varsity Bible study on Friday morning. Sorry, Gabe.
0: uh, <laughs> um, he's next, oh, he's... <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, you know the a team always plays first, so... but uh. And it's just grown from there, and I've seen it in my family. I've had talks with my parents about the gospel, my, my cousins. Uh, some of my younger cousins have started a Bible study of their own in Muncie. I mean, you don't often hear about college students starting a Bible study. So. And I actually was able to attend that a few weeks ago, and I was surprised with how deep it, and how willing all of them were to volunteer in it. And it's just awesome uh, what the Lord's doing Right In my life right now, and I, I know I've been talking a while, so... so good. But Friday morning, I got a call um, from the University of Evansville. And I, I've already been accepted to grad school, but Evansville was at the top of my list. I was put on the waiting list, and I hadn't heard anything for months. Got a call Friday morning. They had an open spot.
0: Nice job, dude. And I'm
3: now going to my top program
0: choice. Right on.
3: So... <laughs> Very, very happy about that. But, um, yeah, the Lord's work and wonders in my life right now. And I, I am able to rest more and just let him live it, live this life through me. So. That's a good word.
0: That's a good word. Let's go to Gabe. <laughs> 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 hey, Gabe. Gabe, you had a couple of questions. I thought they're really good. Let me read them to they're you. They're JV people. questions. Yeah, it's all it's all good. Even though I think I understand that the law was, A, given to the Jews, and B, that the law passed at the end of the Jewish age, I still struggle understanding Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20 says the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. He said it's really tricky to me trying to figure out what it means that the law was given so sin would increase. In a Jewish context, I think my biggest questions for Romans 5 revolve around this concept uh that this is a verse that's probably it, it's obviously there in the scripture, but it's not taught a lot because uh but th- but this is the way it works, and it, it's it's for all people the law works this way for all people, whether you 're a believer or not but if I said don't look at the can, one you just looked at it, and two. Everybody else is trying not to look at it and they're thinking, don't look at the can, don't look at the can, don't look at the can. That's what the law does. If you give the law, it just kind of stirs you, stirs your, your sinful nature to do whatever the law says not to do. And we can see that in our society because we make laws But then we have to make other laws because those laws get broken. Then we have to make more laws. And we just keep making more and more laws. That's why we have legislatures and everything else. And so that's the way the law works. So why is it that way? Is obviously they didn't have the law before Moses came along. But they, as Keith talked about in his teaching, they had a conscience that they knew what was right and what was wrong. Now for us who are believers in this room, we're not under the law. We never were actually under the law. But we have this Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and directs us and guides us and He's not going to guide or direct us anything that contradicts the law, as I believe. So the the law is there as a tutor. It's there to say to show the people you need a Savior because the relationship, the sinful nature has separated you from God. Does that make sense? Or does that even like, you probably have about 10 more questions to follow that, I'm sure.
4: Yeah, it's like one of those uh, choose your own path books where you choose one and then there's like 10 more paths and then you choose right, 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 10 right. more. So it, it, It's good. I, I think that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I'm, And then you said, lastly, 5-7 confuses me. I simply don't understand what Paul is aiming to do in comparing a righteous man to a good man. Is this a reference to Jesus? I'm not sure. So I'm taking you back to Romans chapter 5, actually verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Like everybody was born with a sinful nature, everybody was ungodly and for God so loved the world that he, he died for everybody. But then verse 7 says, For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. It's not really comparing the two between a righteous man and a good man. It's more or less saying, if you were to think about who you would die for in this room right here, uh, he, he literally says right there, For rarely will someone die for a just person. But for a a good person, you know, you're probably less likely to do that. But what Jesus did, he went even beyond that and he died for the ungodly. And so he's kind of saying this is even a greater act than any of us would ever even think about consider is that You would die for the ungodly. You would die for those with sinful natures. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
4: I I feel like it ties into the constant contrast between Jesus and Adam. Yes. It's it's like pitting the two against each other. I I don't know. That's later on, too, talking about uh, sin coming in through Adam, redemption through Jesus. So just, yeah, interesting. I think that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Gabe, tell us about you, who you are, and where you come from. Uh, That's a long story. Um,
4: so yeah, my name's uh, Gabriel Glover, and I am a JV Bible study member. I'm just kidding. Um, so, so yeah, um, just I think for a long, long, long time, having been a Christian at five years old, which is a blessing, but also uh, sometimes challenging because you start developing habit patterns, and that starts to define your faith without you realizing it. Uh, for me, it became behaviorism in a lot of ways. And, uh, in some ways I felt like I was good at it. You know, I felt like I was, I was all right at that. And I was kind of dead on the inside because it wasn't fulfilling to look at, uh, every action and every step. Somebody mentioned perfectionism, uh, as if, you know, is this enough for me to be closer to God? I remember there was this moment, uh, I was probably 15 or 16. I was at a music uh, seminar in Louisville and there was a, a drum teacher there from, North Texas. And this guy had just become a Christian a couple years before this guy had a walk and he, he just had this fire and this passion. We were talking late one night after this show and he, 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 he I had like a cross necklace on or something. And so he asked me, he's like, are you, you know a Christian? I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And he said, man, he said, for me, it's just been a wild ride. And he used that term wild ride. And I literally remember thinking to myself right then, okay, for me, it's not, I'm, I'm missing something. Right. I, I'm, I'm like the kid who at the time I felt like I had answers. You know, I felt like in the youth group I could maybe throw in an answer that made me look smart, which who does that glorify? Um, and when he said that wild ride comment, it really threw me into this process of beginning to question, uh, why is it not a wild ride for me? Years later, I got the chance to go to banquet. Uh, a great banquet was really eye opening for me. Um, apparently, Luke Dunnick just messes up people. <laughs> We had a great conversation one night. There was an event there at, at banquet that I left. I, I, was, I literally was just sitting there, and all these guys around me are emotional, and they're processing, they're just, they're just feeling this realness of the moment. And I'm sitting there, I'm just like, what's going on? I, I feel nothing, right? There's, I, I'm missing something. There's something happening here, and I am not in tune with it. And I remember asking Luke, I'm like, what am I missing? And he started explaining that moment to me which helped me come to terms with the love and the sacrifice and everything that was present there at banquet. But most importantly, it totally went off into the deep end of identity. And I started realizing that, you know, I was using, Seth, it reminds me of kind of what you talked about. I was using the external actions and the external interactions that I had with my environment to define my internal identity. Instead of looking at how God defines my internal identity as a new believer, and trusting that that's actually who I am, and now the actions that I go do, and sometimes I'm a I'm a total blockhead and I'm stubborn and I do stupid stuff, that isn't fulfilling to my heart, right? Just as it was when I went, just as it wasn't when I talked with that gentleman and he said the wild ride, it wasn't fulfilling then, but now I'm realizing at that time, wait, there's a big difference between unbeliever and believer. And my my heart and my spirit being raised with Christ, new creation, right, seated in the heavenly places, uh, crucified with Christ, enough, heart of stone becomes heart of flesh, all these very good things. And that was eye-opening for me to be able to sit back and rest and stop achieving in my faith like I was trying to achieve in everything else. And so that started, that rocked me. And I, you know, Matt Tully is one of my, my best friends, and he was there at that banquet as well. And those guys just started really encouraging me and working on me because I was burning out. Uh, Kevin's message a few weeks ago on Romans 5.1, the first 20 minutes of that message, I, I was sitting there, I'm just like, first of all, what an amazing story he has. And I felt a little bit of the elements, the, the principles present in his story in my own life. And I'm, I'm 20. I was like, thank God that maybe I was able to see now at, at this stage that it's not about you know behaviorism it's not about personal growth and self improvement it is about grace it's about understanding that forgiveness and then letting that spirit walk through us so i don't know i'm just i'm talking but that was really an eye opening process for me coming to terms with this isn't what it's supposed to be my god is bigger than this and there's something going on here where the more i try to make him a priority in my time priority means it means one by the way we we use it plural we say priorities it really only means one so I'm like, okay, I'll just make God a priority. I'll just focus all my efforts on God. But I had a flawed understanding of God. And I had a flawed understanding of me. And I think now I'm, I'm much more at peace with that.
0: So can you, I'll put you on the spot here. Can you maybe explain the difference between head knowledge and revelation?
4: Casual questions.
0: Oh, man. If not, you know. It,
4: it, it's it's tricky because I think sometimes we get scared pressing in, digging in. I actually had a friend at a at a, a different Bible study. We we were digging into something, and uh, people were asking uncomfortable questions, you know. And, and which I like to think that God is big enough for us to ask those questions and and test them with Scripture. Uh, I think about you know the Bereans in Acts seventeen, right? They were examining the Scriptures to see if these things were so. Uh, that friend, he said, guys, you know, press in, look into this, research it, but, you know, if it starts getting uncomfortable, if you start feeling some, some doubt or some fear, you know, don't, just, just be careful, just just pull back. And I realized, I'm like, you know what, I don't think that knowledge is bad. We were given our minds, we were given this word, and, you know, Solomon asks in First in, uh, Kings 3, maybe First Kings 2, he asks God for, for Knowledge for wisdom and for the ability to discern good and evil. And I'm like, wow. You know, By the way, I feel like that's the whole point of writing Proverbs. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's like this, this, this complete focus on discernment, but knowledge can bring us peace. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of, of, of what he's made us. Like I said, taking him at his word and using that to define us rather than either how the world defines us or how our feelings define us or how... Uh, you know, Seth, just like you said, right, that action is not going to define my core. We live in a culture that says your actions define your core. They define your identity. So I don't know, Rusty, I would just say that, you know, revelation. Can I say that I've had revelation myself? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've had like a dreamy visionette. It's probably not even that, by the way. It's probably totally different. Yeah, but
0: you grew up learning and knowledge and stuff like that, and now you're seeing things in a different light. Is that correct?
4: That's true. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. I think that uh, I think that it just starts. It starts here, and and we'll create ideas from this, and, and we'll just get away from this, right? And so this being the source of knowledge and objective truth, which yes, there's a lot of disagreements and there's interpretational whatever. Correct. I I just I find peace knowing that you know this knowledge can bring i don't know i don't know i I have to think more on that question that's a tough one good
0: all right i'm going to jump to uh maddie and kyle grab a grab a microphone there you can both have a microphone uh they have the royal wedding coming up here and how many (laughs) days how many days kyle How how many days is this
5: on 40 i've been counting (laughs)
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were ready this morning, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday night, he was not ready <laughs> uh, Maddie. I want to start with you because uh you've been a part of our student ministry and camp and stuff like that, and you got a great, faithful family that uh has been teaching identity for a long time, yet it is evident in your social networking and things like that, that you are in full pursuit of this thing. What What is it that you're really pursuing? Uh, <laughs>
6: um, I think that my pursuit changed because I realized that what I was trying to pursue wasn't uh, detainable. So my whole life, basically, I've known like the the head knowledge I knew the head knowledge, and I knew who I was, and I knew what I was supposed to say when I was supposed to do or not, but it it was here, but it wasn't here, and so when I got to college, everything that I was fine at or successful at, or I felt like I had a grasp of just kind of left, and it was like, "What do I have to show for anymore like And that's at the point that I realized that I was using everything else in my life, but God to find me. He was just like an aspect of it. And so the summer after my freshman year, I realized that instead of seeing God through the lens of my life, it was like seeing my life through the lens of God and and pursuing God and letting him define everything else in my life. Um, And so I guess that's the pursuit now is trying to see how can everything in my life fit into who I know God is and who I am rather than vice versa.
0: And if that's the case, and in 40 days, you're getting ready to make one of the biggest <laughs> decisions of your life, uh, how did you get there?
6: Well, <laughs> the summer that all of this happened, I was... I would tell anyone, really, that I was sick of boys, didn't want to date, and, you know, the kind of thing was like, Jesus is my boyfriend. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, but but um, we went to camp, Zion, and this guy was working there. And rumor had it that he had a crush on me, but I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't want that. Um, but I'll let him talk for himself, but... Um, we were both kind of riding the same journey, but we didn't know it yet. And it, it fit because I wasn't trying anymore to find someone who thought and did the things that I wanted him to, but he also was realizing that God was the lens that he should look through. And so it, it just lined up.
0: Yeah, Kyle, uh, you've had the opportunity to share your story here before, I think, haven't you? Have you? I don't think I have. I
5: don't think I've ever talked
0: on this stage. Are you
5: serious? Yes, sir. I thought you had. (laughs) I Uh, definitely brought you stuff.
0: Remember? Yeah.
5: Like the water for the pizza dough.
0: I remember that. Uh, But I know I've heard your story a few times. Uh, tell them where you grew up. Sure. Yeah. Uh,
5: I grew up in South Africa. My parents are missionaries there currently. And uh, 17 years, I was growing up there and um, I decided I wanted to go to college in America. And I left a year before college, finished high school, moved into college like, do you want me to go through my whole... Like, testimony well, you, right now,
0: you grew up in a faithful family learning yeah. about God. And tell, them, tell us a little bit about that, about your parents and your faith.
5: Yeah, definitely. So um, my we didn't really have a home church for a while in South Africa. We bounced around. We, we had three like steady churches. And all of them were great churches. And I loved the people there. Um, but the things that I was learning... And the things that I was getting from those churches wasn't striking me inside. Like, it wasn't affecting me. I was a part of worship teams. I was a part of youth groups. But nothing was really sticking. I was just doing it because I was in a Christian home. And a a very loving Christian home. And uh, I love my parents. And I'm so grateful for the things that they taught me. And um, the the things that... we're talking about here at Leavener, and we know here at Levener are all things that my parents would talk to me about from such a young age. And I never understood any of it <laughs> from like all the way up until I was 18. I just didn't get
0: what they were talking about.
5: Um, and so then uh, it was the summer that Maddie and I met. Um,
0: Wait, we, we came to Camp Zion – Leavener yeah. students and adults and everything, and we go to this camp that we know very little about, but it's the whole. It's like a its own denomination almost type, huh? Is that right? Uh, the the own ministry missions program things like that.
5: Yeah, I guess so. I mean they have a they have a church that, that they're just, based out of in Zion, Illinois. Yeah,
0: but I just remember you sitting there trying to tell us about the whole uh, Zion like, thing yeah. and. We were all just kind of like sitting around, listening to how great it was. Yet at the that at nighttime, you guys were coming in, hearing mm-hmm. something a little different. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It was a
5: little awkward,
0: but it was fun. Yeah,
5: yeah. And I learned a lot that week from you guys. And I think the biggest thing that I learned was relational things. Um, it was it was about there was there was something different. Like, that's the best way to describe it, was that in every camp that I had been a part of, which I'd been a part of a lot, and I was a lifeguard at a camp where I was seeing a bunch of other camps. And so in all of these different ways, there was something so um, loving and true about the relationships that I was seeing. And it was something that I wanted to know more of because it was... It. I'd, I'd seen glimpses of it, and I knew about it from my parents, but I'd never experienced the fullness of it. And um, I just wanted to know more about it, and I wanted to experience more of it.
0: What's the biggest thing you've probably learned that's different that you would say that you, you grasp onto if there's any one element of the whole thing?
5: Oh, uh, walk by the Spirit.
0: What does that look like? Ooh. that's a million dollar question, isn't it?
5: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think it's different for every person, but for myself personally, it's acknowledgement that I'm never alone. I think uh, I think that's one of the biggest phrases that I have to tell myself constantly is that I'm never alone. And um, I like to remind people of that too.
0: Yeah. So Maddie, back to you real quick. Uh In 40 days, your life with Kyle starts anew as one flesh. What is the one thing that you're looking forward to?
6: Only one? (laughs) Um, I'm excited to see... I don't mean for this to sound churchy, but I'm excited to see what God's design is for marriage and what that looks like between us. Because there are different stages that you know we've gone through to pursue the Lord but marriage if, if it's like, you know, all the walls are torn down <laughs> and, and it's it's just us and God and the the, the three strands and um yeah I, I'm just excited to see our relationship through through that lens.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for you. I, I got the the honor of doing their premarital counseling. But, uh Kyle's dad is Doing the wedding, um, and so just being able to watch them and how they work together in different situations has been uh, pretty exciting. So I'm excited for you guys. So uh, Caitlin, Caitlin Chrisilius, Uh tell us you can how you got here first to this Pinheads area.
7: Um. So I grew up. Um, going to church with my family at a different church that's around here and um, through different things um, there were people leaving that church for different reasons and I got to a point that my, pa- my parents had already left and had chosen a different home church um, and I hadn't yet but I was wanting to leave but I didn't want to just pick the church uh, my parents went to. I wanted to find um, a church that I wanted to go to and so my good pal who um, we were friends in high school told me about this church that was happening in a bar. And um, I thought it was interesting coming from kind of a bigger church um, and just seeing some things on that end that I liked the more like homey feel um, of this. And so I tried it out one Sunday um, and I liked it and just kind of stayed. Um, I also realized that this boy that I liked was also going to this church. So Um, That didn't hurt.
0: (laughs) See, it does work. (laughs) Uh, And so you ended up marrying a Cressilius.
7: Yes, I did. I got to join a great family.
0: Eric is your husband. How long have you been married?
7: It will be three years in June.
0: That's crazy. And how old are you?
7: I'm 25.
0: And where do you work?
7: Um, I work at Fishers High School as a special ed teacher.
0: So... uh, how has knowing what you know now, and I'm assuming Eric knows the same thing, how, how does that affect your marriage? How does that impact your marriage?
7: Um, I think that it just allows us and the things that just come up in marriage in um, the short three years, two and a half years, um, but we're able to like handle them easier because we're doing it. Uh, Christ is through us. And so some of maybe the first-year problems or things that, like, could potentially come up haven't really been problems um, because we know who we are in Christ um, and know that um, our actions can sometimes be through the flesh and not through the spirit. Um, And so we're not taking those things personally um, at each other, and we're able to, um, like, just forgive each other because we know it's not like our true self that is um, doing those things.
0: I think uh, probably the majority of the adults are sitting out here going, why didn't we know this when we were their age? Do they know what they have up here on the stage at this age? Is uh, you guys, seriously, you have a great advantage, a great advantage, and that's pretty exciting. Caitlin, um, we... We talked a little bit, I think, on Thursday night. Uh, you're in the education world, and knowing what you know and living out what you're living out is being challenged even in your own career choice. How are you maneuvering through that?
7: Um, I just, I'm just i just living and um, walking by the Spirit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm following what we're doing, and things like that. But I think that um, if you talk to some of my students, it's probably evident with them that um, there's just a difference of how we talk about things in my classroom um, and how we work through things and that. Um, especially with the clientele that I um, work with at the high school, um, they probably like don't understand the specifics of really it at all, but they could probably tell you that um, I'm able to look at them for, like, who they are. So kind of going back to what you were talking about, that a lot of my students have um, a little bit of a checkered past, but that's not who they are. And so, um, yeah, just using my identity and stuff as an advantage as I'm working in the classroom.
0: You say the students can recognize the difference?
7: Um, I mean, I would. some of my students tell me that, like, I'm the only teacher that they, like, feel comfortable sharing different things or, that, or working with me and things like that. Um, yeah,
0: and you're just doing your natural self,
7: yeah, trying to
0: it's <laughs> awesome, it's a good word, Kelly Tyner, grab a mic hello, Kelly. <laughs> uh tell us uh who you're related to and how did you ever figure this thing out
8: <laughs> Uh I'm related to Keith and Connie Tyner, I'm sure you recognize my dad. Uh, He comes up here quite a bit to chat, Um, and I have been blessed to grow up in a household where truth and identity has been taught to me since a young age. Um, As far as, like, figuring it out, I guess that's uh, uh, thanks to God. Um, I went through Romans the first time when I was in fifth grade, um <laughs> so <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. Um and Thursday night when I was talking with Rusty, it is just kind of interesting. Like as a fifth grader, you know, I understood Romans to what a fifth grader could understand Romans to. Um I had a kind of loose grasp on what identity was, but that's like big for a fifth grader. Um and just that revelation and be able to take that through middle school and high school and starting college. Um, and now my young adult life has just been so cool um, because I've not had to worry about what my actions, like, do those define me. I get to rest in God. Um, and it has provided so, such cool opportunities to see God show up. Um, and just especially, like, moving away from home and having to figure out the adult thing by yourself. Um, I've had several times at the beginning of my college career where it was like, I can either trust that God is who he says he is and um, trust that he who he says I am is who I am, or I'm going to throw this all out the window and do something completely different. Um, And just over and over again, God has proven he is who he says he is. Um, I have moments that are stakes in my life where it's I can go back to those moments of this thing's real. And it does make a huge difference in how I approach and interact with people um yeah.
0: I I kind of put you in the hot seat Thursday, but you and you responded, so I'm gonna do, do ask you the same question. So you, you grew up with Keith and Connie in a, a house that teaches grace and identity and and then you went to college at Murray State, which is like the the where Bob lived and the whole Roman study that we use came from and everything else, and so you were uh, in a bubble uh, growing up, and even through college, did you ever experience being outside of the bubble?
8: Uh, yes, uh, that is a very valid question, and I would say I definitely have. Um, Western Kentucky is just a weird place. I love it so much, but it's <laughs> it's just kind of weird. Uh, you could talk to people who have lived um in Murray their whole lives and they would have no idea who Bob Warren was. Um, and Harden where the hill is is, you know, 10 minutes up the road and they have no idea that it's there. Um, and then there is like a mega church um, just like a stone's throw from the hill. Um, and they don't teach grace or identity really there at all. Um, and so Western, like I said, Western Kentucky is weird. You're in the middle of the Bible belt. Um, there's a lot of work-based faith around there. And so I would say I probably didn't venture out of the bubble into like a godless land where, you know, people aren't conscious of God. Um, but in a weird way, I went into an area for a long time where people are very conscious of God, but it's almost to like, look down on your nose. Like, are you doing enough? Like, and so that's a weird thing to navigate. It's almost easier to trust God when, you're, when nobody's aware of it, which I think is what I experienced in high school going to a public school um, versus being surrounded by people who are aware of God. And you know who you are, but they're judging you based off of your actions. So it's just kind of a weird subculture. <laughs>
0: Kelly, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'll instead of asking you, I'll just tell you that you're an influencer uh what makes you an influencer
8: Jesus <laughs>
0: <laughs> See when we're with the high school students and I ask like questions like that deep questions that's always the answer is Jesus so It's a good uh, answer. It's it's a great answer. Uh but what is it about you other than obviously Jesus that makes you such an influencer.
8: Um,
0: you wouldn't label yourself as that, I know, but no. you are. <laughs> uh,
8: I would say I had a moment of revelation in college where one of my really great friends um, is Catholic, and we—I would drive. She actually lives like right by my my grandma, and we had never met until we went to Murray State. So again, Western Kentucky is a weird place, um, and so I got the opportunity to drive her home for. Thanksgivings and Christmases and breaks and stuff because she didn't have a car. Um, And so we just got to talk a lot. um, And I got to hear about her perspective on Jesus and what that's all like. Um, And, you know, has a super incredible faith, but just believes very differently than me. Um, But very genuine. Um, And so God, like, revealed to me, like, just because your friend doesn't know who she is in Christ doesn't mean I view her any differently and doesn't mean I love her any differently. Um, she's perfect and holy just like you are. Um, so treat her like that just because she doesn't recognize that treat her like you would treat somebody who does understand their identity. Um, and so that was kind of a pivotal moment for me was like viewing people through the lens of God that, you know, whether they're saved or not, God loves them just the same and wants that for them. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I, that's that's a good that's a good word. It'd be uh, obviously walking by the Spirit is is the big deal there, and that's what will influence a lot of you. I'm going to ask you one last question, all of you that I asked Thursday night. You, the common denominator that you guys speak about is learning how to rest in Christ and everything else as a. Uh, Corey and I had this discussion the other night, whether you're millennial or Gen Z, uh, those those two don't want to be associated with each other, by the way. Uh, there's definitely a, a dividing line, but there's a generation that has been associated with as unmotivated and lazy and wanting things just to come to them. And you guys are sitting here saying, oh, we've learned this whole Christian thing and now we just have to rest and everything else. And it's kind of like lining up with your label of your generation. How would you respond to that? Mike's grabbing the mic. Um, Like
3: I said, Thursday night, I think for young Christians specifically, we have a different definition of rest than, you know, the common person would uh, to describe our generation. When we say rest, we mean we're going to let Jesus do this thing through us and we're, we're going to just sit back and, and let him, you know, we're on autopilot.
0: But see, that that's the words right there that they're going to associate mm-hmm. with. But so okay. go ahead and.
3: But so like with this, for me specifically, with the grad school process, Doing the actual applications and the essays was stressful, right? But then after I got all that submitted, my old self during the waiting game, waiting to hear back from him, would have been freaking out. Um, But honestly, I I was relaxed and I just knew that whatever was meant to happen was going to happen. And... You know, I just relax. And that's why the call Friday morning, it, it was a great call, but I, it was something that I wasn't stressing about with Evansville. My old self would have been, but I was just resting in the fact that Jesus has a plan for me. It's going to work out. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's just a different definition of the word rest that we have.
0: I would totally agree with you. Anybody else to add to that?
7: I'm going to add a little bit. Um, something that I thought of, on sorry on Thursday when you asked it and I didn't end up getting to or saying it was just that um like you're up here and you're asking us all these questions and then you're turning to everybody in this room and being like hey don't you wish you knew that when you were our age and so a little bit of that leans to um to me of you like people's criticism of like rest or whatever um like is your way working though like you're burnt out as a 40 year old or as a 50 year old or whatever and so is it truly working for you and so how like are they just criticizing the the rest and again it goes back to definition too but kind of a thing is are you more do you wish you would have been able to do that when you were in your 20s and things like that Touche. Touche.
6: <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: uh, that's that's the whole deal. But I think that you 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 nailed it, the rest that we're talking about is not necessarily a physical rest, although that's included. But really it's just a rest from our own works. That here you are 18 to 25 years old, and you're sitting here saying, I'm gonna trust Jesus to work in my life. I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep working, doing, plugging away, doing things. But I'm just going to trust Jesus um, the rest of my life. Uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate, uh, one, your just willingness to come up here today and share some uh, sensitive things, some things that are close. I bring them up here because I want you to see there is great hope. There is great hope. And, um, uh, yeah. And the thing is, I could have brought about 20 more people up here this age in this room. It's like, this is just a slice of the pie. I, You know, we're going through Romans, and I could have, I could, I'm using about 40 or 50 people in this series, and I could use so many more. I can't get everybody up here, uh, but I am thankful for you today. I'm going to ask you to, like, step down off the stage. There's stairs here at the end there, but uh, I'm going to clear the stage because I want to share another story before we leave here this morning. And um, thank you very much, though. Thank you for. Thanks. Thanks. On Monday morning before Thanksgiving this past year, I was at Sunrise Cafe eating breakfast with Micah Wilson, and my phone was going off, and uh, it was the Fisher's Police Department, and they were calling me directly and saying, "Can you please come?" I'm like, "Well, I'm in a meeting." And they're like, uh, "We've had a nine-year-old boy that has passed away. Can you come?" Yes, I'll be right there. So uh, I made my way to the Absher's house. Um, Brent and Dana parents. I walked in and Dana's on the floor with Sergeant Brad Myers. And Brad sees me and gets up and walks away. And this is the role of the chaplain is like you just walk into a family that you don't ever know and situation that you know very little about. And just sat on the floor with Dana. And part of it was the act of presence. Just being able to put an arm around her and pray for her and uh, ask some questions about their son, Chase. Uh, Chase has a twin sister, Kendall, who's here today as well. Um but Chase just didn't wake up, Had a, um, was not sick when he went to bed. In fact, uh, the night before, I'm not here to like scare parents or anything like that. I'm just telling you a story. But uh, went around and kissed his family goodnight and said, I'll see you in the morning. And he never woke up. And so the Fishers fire and police were there. Uh, they called us to come and uh, we began to pour into this family And, uh, Tuesday they called and said, can, would you be available to do the funeral? And, you know, selfishly, I'm like, oh, Chloe's coming home this weekend for Thanksgiving. And yes, I'll do it. Uh, and so Chloe came home and I said, I want to meet with your family. And it was Thanksgiving week and, uh, Dana's got how many siblings? six siblings that were coming from all over the country like they normally do for Thanksgiving, and I said, I'd like to sit down with your family and talk and help plan out the funeral on Saturday, and so I said, Chloe, I want you to go with me because I want you to hang out with Kendall, uh, maybe in her room and talk to her, but Kendall was away at that time, so Chloe ended up sitting in with me and the family and just hearing stories, and um they told this story about when Chase walks into a restaurant, to a bar that he always, or to a restaurant, he asks, is there a bar in here? And I'm like, why would he do that? And he goes, because he always wanted a Shirley Temple wherever he went. (laughs) Shirley Temple. And I thought, well, that's cool, cool story. So uh, we spent, I don't know how long with the family, and we get in the car, and Chloe goes, we have to do Shirley Temples. We have to do Shirley Temples. And I'm like... Oh, man. Uh, okay. So, I uh, think thank the Lord that Chloe was home. <laughs> uh, I have a great wife who helps me all the time, but uh, Chloe loves uh, doing this creative thing. And so, at the funeral on Saturday, we obviously talked about Chase, and we shared... I basically made a Shirley Temple for the three of them, Brent and Dana and Kendall, and talked about how Chase's body was the glass, you know, and he ran and played sports and did all these things in the ice. I put the ice in and uh, Chase was cool. And he impacted those around him and yada, yada, and put the, the Sprite in and put the cherry. Chase was sweet, just did this whole thing. Uh about the Shirley Temple. And then I said, I have a friend who has written a song that's not out yet, and I would like to play this song as you get to enjoy the Shirley Temples. And so we played Say I Won't from Mercy Me uh, at the funeral, and I had I had no idea what was in store at this point. But uh They got the Shirley Temples, the song started, got to the chorus, and Chloe and all the funeral directors came out with like 50 more Shirley Temples for the audience and served everybody Shirley Temples. And they got to the bridge and um, talking about running and dancing, which is what Chase loved to do. He loved to dance. Uh, Brent raised his glass. And all the glasses, all the Shirley Temples went up around the room, and I was just like... "Ah." funeral directors were crying and weeping. It was just um, an incredible experience and uh, since then the siblings all said uh, we don't know what the Lord's doing but we pray that you guys are involved with their family for a long time. And I'm like that's not my deal, that's the Lord's deal and uh, they've pretty much been here every week listening to you and me and everything else and I thought it was time for you to know their story not as not as like Seth said this isn't their identity there isn't yes they lost the child and I don't want them to be known as that family I want you to know them and I want them to know you uh but you have already ministered to them and you don't even know it and so uh some some of you have taken them out to eat things like that uh some God ordained relationships and uh can i ask if i come back here i don't know how together you are on this whole thing but uh can i ask how you're doing
6: We're doing the best we can.
8: Each day is
6: a roller coaster of emotions. But
8: because of our friends, family, that guy, all of you, the community, and the support we have had, and the guy upstairs is getting us through this.
6: And we just continue
8: to ask for prayers and support.
0: Thank you. Uh, This is Dana. This is Brent. This is Kendall. This is their family right here and friends that have been supportive through them the whole time. I want you to know them. I want you to, uh, but you have ministered to them, have they not? and they don't even know it so i show you this little brief video here they don't know that we put this together so
9: Dana and Kendall. This is Bart Millard from the band Mercy Me. And, uh, the Kennedys have, uh, shared a lot of stories about chase and the amazing kid that he was. And it's such an honor to hear that, uh, you were able to play, say I wanted his funeral long before anybody else ever heard the song. And I've seen the videos of how much he loved to run and dance and just, uh, just a honor that we could be a part of that in a, even a small way. And, um, man, I can't imagine what you're going through. Um, um, it's already been a crazy year and just, um, just, I just can't imagine it. And, um, we haven't done shows in a long time and we're actually about to start rehearsing for a, a show that we're doing in Jacksonville, outside of Jacksonville at Ritz-Carlton and Amelia Island. Uh, it's called the Tell where people are kind of spread out and socially distanced and just trying to, just, just trying to get back and start playing live again. And so, uh, man, just knowing what you've gone through on behalf of Mercy Me, Levener, the Fishers Fire and Police who were there with you during that tragic time, we'd like to invite you to be a part of this show, just to come maybe take your mind off things and and maybe be a little part of the healing process. Uh, It's March 6th, Saturday, March 6th, and we'll put you up at the Ritz Carlton and you can Hopefully enjoy Mercy Me Show. I can't guarantee we're gonna be any good, but we're gonna try. And um, anyway, just uh, we'd love to to offer that invitation to you guys. Hopefully the three of you can make it. Um, uh, You have an amazing community around you. And and just, uh, yeah, we just love to, even just for a moment to remind you of how Chase is a bigger part of your future than he is of your past. I think it'd be worth it. So hope you can make it. Don't check the box, no or maybe. Tell us yes, and come see us. All right, God bless.
0: that but you did that and we just wanted for a moment to put a smile on their faces and uh, it is going to be ups and downs and I want you to know that this is good peoples and uh, we'd love to take care of you, we'd love to minister to you, we'd love to be your friend. So, Father, I I pray for uh, the Abshers that you would just encourage them today. Thank you for um, crossing our paths. Will you just show us what we need to do to care for them? And I know there's other people in here that um, are hurting as well with other things. We just pray that we can be a body that loves one another and trusts you and uh, we become more dependent upon you than each other but uh, we can also be encouragers to one another so lord we love you i thank you for today and just thank you for the heart of these men and women that are up here today and it's what the truth that they shared uh thank you for that and i pray these things in jesus name amen